0: Welcome, everyone, to part four in our series on the Catechism, on the teachings of the Catholic Church. And we're going to dive right back into where we left off from our last class. And we're finishing up a section on the Creed that pertains to the mystery of God. In our last class, we talked about Jesus Christ and why He became one of us, why He became man, born of the Virgin Mary. And then the Creed talks about, very briefly, the Holy Spirit. It says we believe In the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. So, the Holy Spirit is what we call the third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the word Trinity does not appear anywhere in the Bible, but the concept explained by that word surely does. Several times in the life of Jesus there were manifestations in the Gospel about the Trinity when He was baptized and His transfiguration and revelation of the Father, the Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And we see that also in the Acts of the Apostles, the work of the Holy Spirit among His people. Now the Creed says that the Holy Spirit is the Lord Now, the title, Lord, is only given to God. The Lord is the Lord of all, all all-powerful above everything. So, the Holy Spirit is God, the giver of life. Now, where does life come from? All life comes from God. So, again, the teaching that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So, we have a connection here, a oneness with the Father and the Son, that comprises the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity. The Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. That means we worship the Holy Spirit. You know you get a lot of people who often talk about um, the work of the Spirit, life in the Spirit. That's what it's all about. It's worshiping the Holy Spirit. We worship the Holy Spirit. We worship the Father. We worship the Son. And that is one mystery. One God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And note this not three parts of God. So, you don't have one-third of God here and one-third here and one-third here. It's all one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One time I was talking to a Jehovah's Witness and a lot of the Jehovah's Witnesses are former Catholics and they weren't really taught the faith and so one of the things they do is they attack the idea of the Trinity and they show it, it's not in the Bible, it's not here, it's not there. and I got in a little debate with this character, and by the end of it, he didn't want to talk to me anymore. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit being part of God. And when I heard him say that, I went right after him. And I said, so, you're saying God is made up of parts? And he said, yes. And I said, that's not possible. I said, because God is perfectly one, and He's dependent upon nothing for Him to be God." And he couldn't understand what I was saying. And I said, if the Holy Spirit is part of God, or if the Son is part of God, or the Father is part of God, then God is depending upon all those parts to be together for Him to be one God. And he didn't like to hear that, so he came up with this other analogy. He said, the Holy Spirit is like the power in a battery. And I said, well, you can't say that either, because you're saying that God has a potential to be more than He is but God is perfect in himself. He doesn't have the potential to be greater than he is. He doesn't have the potential to go beyond what he has done. And so he didn't like that either. I also said to him, the power in a battery can run out. And are you saying that the Holy Spirit could run out in God's power? And he didn't like that either. So he left and he never came back again. I've had a number of interesting dealings with Jehovah's Witnesses and they end up not liking me, but I really love them and I always like talking to them. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God in three Persons. Notice when we say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we don't say in the names, plural. We say in the name, singular, in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, the Most Holy Trinity. Now, the next part of the Creed is about the church. And we say that we have faith in the church. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So the church is a reality that's part of our faith. I want to read to you from a couple passages here in the New Testament that shows how even in the beginnings of the revelation about the Church, we have this idea that the Church is an important part of our faith. The Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 16, verse 13 and following. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." So right there we see that the church is a reality from Jesus Christ. We want to come to understand what this reality is, because there's so much confusion about it, and that confusion is something that can lead people either away from Jesus or lead them to go to Jesus in a way that is not the full experience of what Jesus intends. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. St. Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Here he's talking to Timothy about his plans, and he says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the truth. So, the church itself is something that is very, very important. And it comes to us from Jesus Christ. The Creed says, that we believe in one, one church. So what does the word one mean in this context? Well, first of all, it has to do with the fact that the church has one source, namely God, that the source of the church, the origin of the church is Jesus Christ, who is the Lord and Savior. The church is built up of billions and billions of people down to the ages. But there's one source. It's not, it doesn't draw its origin from multiple sources. As if to say, the church began with this event here in history, and with that one over there, and this one here, and this one today. Some people say the church began at Vatican II. That wouldn't be true. The church has one source, and that's Jesus Christ. Very important to keep that in mind, because it'll give you the confidence you need to understand what your relationship to the reality of church should be it should be one of appreciation one of a sense of gratitude that god has brought you into this community one one source namely jesus christ one also means that the church professes the one faith received from the apostles you know what i find very interesting is if you read the new testament you have a number of characters who are involved in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have a lot of people. If you look at St. Peter, St. Paul, you look at St. John, you look at St. Jude, you look at all of the different people. You have Timothy, you have, you have um, in the Acts of the Apostles, you have so many different men and women who are involved in this mission of leading people to Christ and to know His gospel. Well, there's a remarkable oneness in what they're teaching people from all different walks of life and different educations and different life experiences, they come to this oneness of what they're teaching the rest of the world about Jesus Christ. So what that is, it's the one faith that comes to us through the teaching of Jesus Christ and the Apostles. Then the word one also means a common celebration of divine worship. Now divine worship has to do with what we call liturgy. And in the Catholic Church, there are so many different kinds of liturgy. There's the liturgy of the Word, the liturgy of the Eucharist, there's the seven sacraments. There's also different rituals by which one celebrates the sacraments. The thing is, though, despite all this diversity, which is a very good thing, there is a common celebration of divine worship, namely that our sacraments, our Word of God, is pointing us toward this one here to Jesus Christ. The Catechism says this about the oneness of the Church. The sole Church of Christ, that is the one only Church of Christ, is that which our Savior, after his resurrection, entrusted to Peter's pastoral care, commissioning him and the other apostles to extend and rule it. This church, constituted and organized as a society in the present world, subsists in the Catholic Church, which is governed by the successor of Peter and by the bishops in communion with him. So that teaching tells us that really there is one church and its perfect manifestation is in the Catholic Church. Now we're going to go to the next word in the creed about the church. Holy. I believe in one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. So the word holy, most important, means that the founder is holy. Who is the founder of the church? Jesus Christ. No one else. It is Jesus Christ. That is the source of the church's holiness. Now we have to keep this in mind because there are so many different stories, bad news in the church. So many examples of of the opposite of holiness. You know, sometimes you hear of, corruption in the priesthood or among bishops, and you're like, man, this church ain't too holy. It's not holy at all. We have stuff going on in the media in our time that seems to indicate this lack of holiness. But the word holy has to do with the founder, first and foremost. Now, the members of the church are imperfect. None of us are perfect. We are all trying to be disciples of Christ. There's a teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas where he said, it is far better to limp along the way of Christ than to stride along off the way. So we're all members of the church limping along the way of Christ. We we might fall into sin, we get up, we repent, we go to confession, We we turn back to Jesus Christ. But some people in the church, they stride along off the way. They go down the path of malice and corruption. And we hear about that in the media, in all of these manifestations of evil, that have occurred within the church, within the priesthood. It's very discouraging and it makes you wonder, is this church worth it, worth our devotion and our care? Well, it's holy because the founder is holy. you got to keep that in mind. When you hear of corruption in the church or in the priesthood, what it is, it's members of the church who are not following Jesus Christ. They're striding along off the way of Christ and they're living in the darkness of sin and degradation. They might remain in the church structures. Usually that's because of something called clericalism, which is no good. But they're not following Jesus. So we have to make sure that we follow Jesus. So here's a good point for you. When you are made aware again and again of the corruption that exists in the lives of individual members of the church, even in the priesthood, you have to say to yourself this, I have to be the best disciple of Jesus Christ I can be. Because rather than being church people, we have to be disciples of Christ. When we feel that church leadership has gone corrupt, and you hear about these things in the media, it's really hard not to hear about it. You have to say, that so- the source of that corruption is not following Christ. So we got to do the opposite we have to follow Christ. So you make an examine of your own conscience to get out your scriptures and your catechism. You start learning more and more about how you can always be a better disciple of Jesus Christ so that you can start to participate more deeply in the holiness that others chose not to share in. The Founder is holy therefore what he establishes, what he creates has to be holy. The other thing about the word holy means that the life of grace comes to us through the church. So, for example, the seven sacraments, the word of God, the Bible. You know that question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, that's like that with the Bible and the church. Which came first, the Bible or the church? Actually, the church did. But if you want to go back further, the word of God, Jesus Christ, came first. But we receive the gospel through the church. You even hear about it in the writings of the authors of the New Testament. The sacraments, baptism, and all the other sacraments come to us through the church. So we come to know Jesus Christ through the church. We really do. Even if you never went to church and you read the Bible, where did that come from? Somehow it came to us through the church. The final word Actually, not the final word, but the next word is Catholic. One holy Catholic. So the word Catholic means universal. It means according to the totality, in keeping with the whole. So the word Catholic for the context of the Church means that the Church has it all. The Church has everything that Christ intended for the Church. You know when, when you have something in your possessions, that you want it to be perfect, you want to make sure it has all the possible features that it can have. So the Church has all the possible features that it can have. And it came to us, all these features come to us from Jesus Christ. The Catholic Church has a correct and complete profession of the faith. That's a big thing. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, man, look how big that book is. This is part of that Catholic sense of the Church. This is one of the features of the Church that Christ gave to the church. The Bible, the full sacramental life, the seven sacraments, and ordained ministry in apostolic succession, which we'll talk about in a moment. The church has a lot of stuff. There's so many other ministries in the church too that we see in our ordinary parish life. So the word Catholic means this church has got it all. We got everything. We really do. we got all the bells and whistles, and we've got everything that Jesus Christ wanted us to have in our experience of the church. And the word Catholic also implies that the church has a mission to the whole human race, to the whole human race. The church does not just have a mission to this little group here and that one there and that's it, but it's to the whole human race. I remember one of the first sort of visions I had of this was the funeral of Pope John Paul II, which was in uh, 2005. And you had people at that funeral who were not Catholic. You had people who were from all the different world's religions who had somehow been touched by this man, Pope John Paul II, had been inspired in their in their life, in their leadership, or whatever country they were from. You had people there from nations that didn't like each other. And you had their leaders there at the funeral of John Paul II. And you had so many people of all different ages and different backgrounds. And I watched it on TV and I was like, this is the mission that the Church has to the whole human race. The Church has a mission of spreading God's love to the whole human race. And the other experience I've had of this mission is, When I went to Rome the first time, I could see the, sort of, universal dimension of the Church, that the Church has a mission that encompasses everybody. Now our experience of the Church is often not universal. Our experience is just our local parish, or maybe something you watch on TV or something, and that is what we call the particular Church. So we have two understandings of this the Particular Church and the Universal Church. The Particular Church would be a diocese. I'm from the Archdiocese of Boston, so we would say the Particular Church here is the Catholic Church in the Archdiocese of Boston. Or the Particular Church could be your local parish community. The Universal Church is the entire church throughout the whole world and throughout time. And you gotta keep these two things connected, the Particular Church and the Universal Church. We're one and the same. We're part of one big family. And this will actually inspire us because you know what it means. It means a lot of things. One thing it means is we're not alone. We're not alone in our practice of the faith. You know, sometimes when we, we try to live the gospel, we can feel alone. We can feel like, man, no one, nobody in my circle of life practices the faith, lives the gospel. But you know, there's someone on the other side of the world who's going through your same struggle and they're part of the same church. So, you're really not alone. We're all one in this great family of faith. There's a real oneness that we have with each other in our experience of the universal church. Okay, now the final word, apostolic. When I was a kid, I thought that the word apostolic had something to do with apples. I was like, well, the church has something to do with apples. But, no, It's um, apostolic has to do with the apostles. Let me just write all these words on here. I forgot to put them down. We have one holy catholic and apostolic. No apples there. It's apostle. You have the word apostle. in Apostolic. The apostles are uh, St. Peter and all of his friends. So what this means is that the church was and remains built on the foundation of the apostles, the witnesses chosen and sent on mission by Christ himself. So when you read the gospel, you hear stories of Jesus calling to himself the apostles. They are witnesses. And they were chosen and sent on a mission by Christ himself. I remember the first time that I was, went on this thing. Actually, it was the only time. It was called the Scavi Tour at St. Peter's Basilica. And they take us on this tour. And, and you go down into the lower regions of the Basilica of St. Peter's in Rome. And they have what they believe is a box that contains the remains of the Apostle St. Peter. And on this tour, there was a tour guy talking and talking and talking. And I was mesmerized when we saw this box. We had to look through this window. And she was telling us, there it is right there. And I stopped listening to what she was saying. And I just kept hearing this voice in my heart say these words. He saw him. He saw him. He saw him. I just kept repeating that to myself as I looked at this box. And, And what I was saying was that this Apostle Peter saw Jesus Christ. You know, we have a lot of people in our lives who who talk about Jesus to us, maybe favorite saints or people alive today that we listen to. But I was like, this guy saw him. This fisherman saw Jesus Christ. He was a witness. He saw him teach. He heard his voice. He saw his miracles. He saw him die. He, he was part of the... He was actually part of abandoning him on Good Friday. He saw him in the resurrection and he became one of the most awesome servants of Jesus Christ. I kept saying he saw him. Well, this is part of the apostolic nature of the church. The apostles have the help of the Holy Spirit in the sacred scriptures. You hear Jesus talk about how he's going to give the Holy Spirit to the apostles and lead them to truth. So truth is something that Jesus is leading us to, and he says in the Gospel, you can especially see this in the Gospel of St. John. I want to read to you this passage that we have about this. John chapter 16. Jesus is talking to the apostles, and he's getting them ready for what they're going to do, and he says this, This is chapter 16, verse 12 of St. John's Gospel. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So that passage brings together the beginning of our talk tonight, or today, the Holy Spirit, the Apostolic Nature of the Church. I want to read to you a quotation from one of the documents of Vatican II. The Pope, the Bishop of Rome and Peter's successor, is the perpetual and visible source and foundation of the unity, both of the bishops and of the whole company of the faithful. For the Roman pontiff, by reason of his office as vicar of Christ and as pastor of the entire Church, has full, supreme, and universal power, which he can always exercise unhindered. That's the teaching of Vatican II. And what it's talking about is how the Pope has this mission of being the successor of St. Of St. Peter in today's world, of leading people to Jesus Christ. Now we all have that, but we all have it in different degrees. So brothers and sisters, this is the Church. This is what we believe about the Church, that it is one, and it's oneness comes from Jesus Christ, and we participate in that oneness to the degree that we follow Jesus Christ. It's holy because the Founder is Jesus Christ, the All-Holy One. Savior, the one who's come to save us from our sins. And we want to participate in that holiness by using our time in the church to always improve in being a follower of Jesus Christ. If we're not following Jesus Christ, then it's like we're making a misuse of the church. Follow Him. Always try to be a better follower of Him. Catholic, it's got everything we need for a life of grace. This is a huge responsibility placed upon us because it means every one of us has everything we need to be a disciple of Christ. We've got to make use of everything that Jesus gives to us. And it's apostolic. It is founded on the people who saw him, people who saw him, who loved him, and have enabled us to be able to experience his presence in our own lives. God bless you.